Do you uh, pick up a service sheet or a Bible, if you've got one to hand? Uh, we're in 2 Timothy, uh, into, uh, chapter 2, uh, this morning. Let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Our Father, King David says uh, in Psalm 19 that your word is more precious than gold to him and sweeter than honey. I pray this morning that we'd find uh, his words to be true of the passage that we uh, think about, that we'd find it to be more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey uh, in our mouths. We pray you'd come to us and speak to us and feed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 2, starting from verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Okay, children, a question for you. A few questions for you as uh, we start. Uh, I'm going to give you a person, and I want you to tell me what you think their main job is. Uh, so, so what about a, an ordinary doctor? What does an ordinary doctor do? Yes, Johnny? That's perfect. Yeah, he makes people well. Uh, what about a teacher, an ordinary teacher? What does an ordinary teacher do? Yeah, Isaac? Yeah, really easy one, wasn't it? <laughs> Teaches people. Uh, an ordinary plumber, what does an ordinary plumber do, Abby? Yeah, repairs the pipes, nice, fixes bathrooms, fixes kitchens, that kind of thing. Uh, but what is an ordinary pastor's job? What is an ordinary pastor's job? I'll tell you, don't worry. What is an ordinary pastor's job? Uh, their job is to preach uh, the gospel. Verse 1 of chapter 2, uh, Paul says to Timothy, uh, be strengthened, be strengthened, Timothy, by Christ. And be strengthened to what? Oh, to preach the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. If you remember from the last few weeks, uh, Paul is a dying apostle, and he's writing to convince Timothy not to abandon the task of preaching the gospel. We see that largely, actually, in the previous uh, chapter. 
Uh, verse 8, he urges Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Not just of the Lord, but of the testimony of, of speaking, of witnessing to Christ. He says of himself that I am a preacher, an apostle, a teacher, chapter 1, verse 11. That the gospel has been entrusted to him. And verse 14, that it has now been entrusted to Timothy, uh, the person who's writing the letter to and what does it mean to have the gospel entrusted to you? Well, I think it means, just from what we read there, uh, that Timothy needs to preach the gospel. Uh, having the gospel entrusted to you does not mean that you uh, preserve it uh, so that no one has access to it, like a, uh, like a secret recipe that's been passed down through generations, a uh, secret ingredient which no one else knows except for the, the holy huddle. No, preaching the gospel, entrust, being entrusted with the gospel means preaching the gospel uh, so that everyone has access to it. It means putting the gospel on display and making sure that everyone has access to the genuine truth of who Jesus is and what he did. It means proclaiming the gospel in such a way uh, that you're guarding against uh, people who are coming in and saying that Jesus did something else. Uh, So guarding against uh, a wrong understanding of it. Uh, People who will come and corrupt the gospel. And you're guarding against kind of open attack. People who just want to get rid of it altogether. People are out to destroy it. That's what it means to be entrusted with the gospel. So Timothy, be strengthened. If you like, the gospel is a bit like like the biggest diamond in the world. He's given it to Timothy. Um, And what you could do with a diamond is you could lock it up up away so that no one ever sees it. Uh, No one has access to it, so it's protected. Or you could put it on display so that everyone can see it. But if you do that, you also need to guard it to make sure it's not stolen. And Paul is telling Timothy to put it on display. Uh, but what else does an ordinary pastor need to do? Because uh, part of the job, verse 2, part of the job is passing on the job. Uh, Christ has entrusted the gospel to Paul, and Paul has entrusted it to Timothy. And Paul says to Timothy, you need to entrust it to faithful men, in verse 2. Uh, men who are faithful and able to teach men who can do the, do the job of preaching the gospel. Not only does a, a pastor the one who preaches the gospel from the pulpit needs to be faithful himself and needs to be able to raise up faithful pastors to come after him. And if he fails in that, then when he finishes his ministry, whenever that is, uh, that his ministry uh, will likely die out and fail. In that sense, a uh, ministry, this ministry at Christchurch is only so many years from failure. Uh, so the, it's a part of the job, it is passing on the job. And really what we have from verse 3 to the end of the passage, verse 13, is what a faithful preacher needs to know. What a faithful preacher needs to be ready for. And really, that's what we have all the way to the end of uh, 2 Timothy over the next few weeks. And so, I feel like the particular application of this passage will be to men who are thinking about ministry, men like me. I'm thinking about going to ministry in the future, so the particular application is primed at me and others in our congregation are thinking about full-time Ministry. Uh, but it's not like other Christians can just sit back and relax and switch off when it comes to letters like 2 Timothy. I want to say that for two reasons. I want to say that for two reasons. Uh, the first is that what we're about to look through in verses 3 to 13 will apply to all of us to the extent that all of us in our lives are called to put the gospel on display, are called to speak the gospel to our friends and to our families and those around us. Uh, 1 Peter 
3.15, Peter's writing to multiple churches and he says, always be ready to give a defence for the gospel. So the so preacher, Timothy, uh, might be doing it from the pulpit, uh, but speaking the gospel is the collective church task of the church, isn't it? Uh, there's no such thing as a silent Christian. And so all Christians will have something of the taste of the task of Timothy. And so we'll need to be aware of the challenges and need to be uh, motivated by similar things as well. Uh, that's, that's the first reason, that there's, there's, a, there's an extent to which it spreads to all of us. Uh, but the second is this, that the faithful preacher preaches on behalf of the church. Uh, so, so we're one people, aren't we? Christchurch Central Leeds, you're very welcome to joining us, but Christchurch Central Leeds is one people, one body. And the faithful preacher up the front is the spokesman. Think of the Prime Minister, when the Prime Minister gets up in Parliament to speak, to address, um, to address Parliament, what he speaks, he speaks on behalf of the party. And the party will have to respond to what he says. They'll have to be ready to answer questions from the public and from other um, politicians. So whatever the Prime Minister has to face as a result of him speaking, so all the whole, um, whole of his party. It should be like that with the faithful preacher as well. Whatever the faithful preacher faces, the whole church will have to face. In a moment, we're going to come and see how uh, it is a struggle to preach the gospel. And it's worth saying, the struggle is not just for the faithful preacher. The struggle comes to the whole congregation as well. You may have had the experience of being if you like, mocked and rejected, not having actually said anything to anyone, but simply because you're a Christian. Someone finds out you're a Christian before you even talk to them, before they know who you are. They already distance themselves from you. Um, so, so what do we need to know? Verse 3 through to verse 13. What do we need to know? And I think the big message is this. To the faithful preacher in this church, the big message is this. Don't give up in the struggle. Don't give up in the struggle. When the going gets tough, don't throw in the towel. Or when the heat is on, don't pack it in. Verse 3. Share in suffering. Be ready to suffer. Because where the gospel is spoken, suffering is certain. Now, now why is that? Isn't the gospel good news? Isn't that life to those who are perishing? Isn't it forgiveness to those who are guilty? Well, yes, it is. But for it to be good news, to be truly good news, it has to come into the context of bad news first. In that sense, the gospel is a bit like a rescue helicopter. It's only good news a rescue helicopter to those who are lost at sea. And to those who know that they are guilty and need forgiving, to those who are sick and need healing, the gospel is good news. In that sense as well, it's a bit like a surgeon's knife, the gospel. Now children, what is a knife, children? What is a knife used for? What do you use a knife for, Isaac? Yeah, for cutting things. And the gospel is a bit like a surgeon's knife. That when it's preached, it cuts. It is a sharp knife. It's a razor blade that slices people through to the heart. That says to them that who you are is a problem. And only people who know they are ill, who know they need healing, will be willing to submit to the surgeon's knife. And if people don't think they're ill, who don't think they need help, have the gospel preached to them that they are guilty and that who they are 
is a problem, they're going to respond by kicking back. They're going to respond by maybe trying to blunt the knife, preaching a gospel that doesn't cut, or respond by taking away the knife altogether so there's no gospel to preach. Take away the surgeon, for that matter. So there's no minister to preach the gospel. Share in suffering, he says. Suffering is certain. And to help us understand what it looks like to share in suffering, he comes up with these, Paul comes up with these three rich metaphors. It's quite nice when your passage does your illustration work for you. Comes up with these three rich metaphors. And the obvious point is that preaching the gospel will be a struggle. Each person here, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, are going to face a particular struggle and they're going to need a certain trait to get through and resist certain temptation. And so you've got a soldier, and his struggle obviously is, is war. He's about to face a terrible, bloody battle. And the trait he needs, says Paul, is single focus, singular focus. He says, verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, for his ambition is to please the one who enlisted him. And his temptation will be to lose focus. His temptation will be to become distracted, to focus on uh, his hobbies instead of hitting the gym. A soldier to, to focus on, on playing sport, maybe, instead of discharging his duties, or to go to sleep when he's meant to be on watch. He needs to be ready for the fight, not distracted. Or, or the athlete, what's his struggle? Athlete's struggle is the marathon, isn't it? When he's in the middle of the marathon, exhausted, limbs aching, sweat dripping, what will his temptation be? The temptation will be to cut corners to take performance-enhancing drugs. So he needs the trait of being self-disciplined when the going gets tough, not to break the laws, but to compete according to the rules. Or the farmer, well, his struggle is just the constant back-breaking, day in, day out, labour of farming, up at five, bed at ten, calloused hands, blistered fingers. And his trait will need to be that he's up for the slog. He's ready to work hard. Otherwise, his fields are going to not bear any fruit and weeds will come up. And his temptation will be not to bother, not to, to sleep in, to be lazy, to let the weeds grow. And what if you notice the overall temptation for all of them is just to give up, to lose focus because the fight's too fierce for the soldier, or to cheat for the athlete because the race is too grueling. Or just to stop bothering for the farmer because the slog is too exhausting. And that, and that is the preacher's temptation. Timothy, that will be your temptation, says Paul. To lose focus because the war that culture wages against the gospel is too fierce for you. And so like a coward, you run. And that won't mean necessarily abandoning the gospel, but just becoming distracted by civilian pursuits. Uh, devoting your energy to things that are not the gospel, he says. Or, or to cheat, to when you stand up and preach the gospel, to water it down, to make it bland and palatable, to make it blunt, in fact, so it doesn't cut anyone. Jesus just wants us to love each other. That's what he wants. Or, or, or when the Bible says that is sinful, let me explain what that really means, how it's not really sinful. Or the preacher's temptation will just be not to bother, not to steady not to pray, not to devote his time and energy to the gospel, to grow lazy, not to seek to understand and grapple with the culture that he is born into. He needs single focus. He needs self-discipline. He needs to be up for the slog. Uh, it's worth saying, it's our temptation as well. 
It's our temptation as well. It's so easy to focus on life and other things, isn't it? Not, not really to reject the gospel, to just to, to push it to the periphery. So the main thing in our lives becomes our family and our career and our hobbies, to become distracted as well. So we spend our days entertaining ourselves uh, instead of never, and never actually going around speaking the gospel at all. It's so easy, isn't it, to water down the gospel. So when someone confronts you and says, is this really what you believe? So, well, no, not, not really that, not quite that. And take away the sharpness and the edge. It's so easy just to be lazy, to not think about it, to not bother, to not put the gospel on display at all. It's so easy not to stand behind the preacher and the pastor up front, to distance yourself from your church. It's so easy to give up. It's so easy to give up when the struggle of the gospel comes to your doorstep. But if you give up, If you give up, where will be your prize? If you throw in the towel, where will be your crown? If the soldier, the athlete, the farmer gave up, where would be their joy? That's the point Paul's making. Where would be their crown? Where would be the pleasure of the enlisting officer? Where would be the first fruits? Their struggle will cost them. It will cost them dearly, but what keeps them going is keeping their eyes on the prize and knowing that it's worth it. So the big message of this passage this morning is don't give up in the struggle because it's worth the prize. Don't give up in the struggle because it's worth the prize. Verses 8 to 13, where do I look to know it's worth it? Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. And there's a basic lesson there as well, isn't there? Uh, remember Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can make whatever we face as Christians, because we're Christians, worth it. Only what he's done or only what he's doing now in heaven or only what he will do one day when he comes back or who he is can make a struggle today worth it. But what in particular does Paul want us to see? Well, two things. He wants, to see, he wants us to see Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Uh, risen from the dead, and really that echoes what we saw last week, that in the gospel, chapter 1, verse 10, in the gospel there is life and immortality. And in the gospel there is the promise of life, that Christ has conquered death, that he has risen from the dead. That's the first thing I want us to see. The second is that he's the offspring of David. Uh, well, it's a bit of a funny thing to you, it's not immediately maybe the first thing you think about when you come to the gospel. But in In the Old Testament, uh, King David was promised by God an offspring. God said to him, I'll raise up your offspring, one of your sons, and establish his throne forever. Promise God made to David. And Paul is reminding Timothy that Jesus is that offspring, that Jesus sits on the heavenly throne uh, with the power of all the nations as the forever king. His kingdom is being established forever. Now, children, I'm, I'm sure you've seen uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or maybe even uh, read the book. And at the end, you get to this part where the, the four children, Peter, Lucy, Edmund, Susan, are all crowned, aren't they? And they're all given names. You've got High King Peter, the Magnificent, or King Edmund, the Just, or Queen Susan, the Gentle, or Queen Lucy, the Valiant. What, what would Jesus' kingly name be, I wonder? Well, I think it'd be King Jesus, the life giver, 
King Jesus the life giver. And Paul says it's, it's proclaiming about King Jesus, the life giver, the thing that he's been preaching in his gospel, it's for proclaiming that, that he's suffering in chains like a criminal. But he says to Timothy, it's worth it. Timothy is worth it. Christ Church Central lead, leads is worth it. It's worth it for two things. It's worth, worth it for the, for the prize of people, and it's worth it for the prize of glory. Verse 9 and 10, it's worth it to suffer for the prize of people. It says, even though I'm suffering in chains, even though I'm bound, the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not chained. Even though I am being crushed to death, the gospel I am preaching is bringing life. Even though I am in the grave, my preaching is giving birth. Even though I am being battered on every side and suffering for the message I am preaching, my gospel, he says, is saving souls because Jesus Christ sits on his throne as the eternal life giver. And he is powerful enough to bring salvation to people through my suffering and so he says verse 10 i will endure i will endure everything i will endure every blow i'll endure every ridicule and every tear for the sake of their lack that they also might find salvation through my preaching and be saved to eternal glory is that not the first fruits for timothy is that not the first fruits for paul to see those he's preached to saved and won to eternal glory, to see souls in eternity forever. And doesn't Paul look just a little bit like our Lord Jesus here? Our Lord Jesus who was willing to bear the shame and ridicule and mocking of the cross. Our Lord Jesus who was willing to be chained up next to criminals. Our Lord Jesus is willing to pour out his life, just as Paul is doing here, pour out his life to death so that some might find life. Hebrews 12, verse 5 says, He endured the cross and despised its shame. Why? Well, for the joy that was set before him. We are his joy. We are the crown, if you're a Christian this morning, that Christ has won for himself his prize. And he calls us to be like him. It is worth suffering to save the lost. It is worth suffering for the prize of people. And lastly, verse 11 to 13. It is worth suffering for the prize of glory. Paul breaks off and starts this little, like, almost like a little poem, a little song. Uh, he says, the saying is trustworthy. The Lord Jesus, remember, sits on his throne in glory and power. He suffered so that he might give his life to the lost. He suffered so that there might be a gospel for me to preach this morning, to be preached week by week in every church throughout the ages. And so his heart, his delight is in the gospel. And so there's a warning here. Second half of this saying, it says if we deny him, he also will deny us we deny the gospel which he preached and which he won and which he poured his life into and he will deny us even though if, even though if we turn to be faithless he will remain faithful not to us you see 
faithful to himself and to his gospel, for he cannot deny himself. Decide against the gospel of Christ. Decide against Christ himself. There's a warning there. There's also a promise. The promise of the prize of glory. It says if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. His heart is in the gospel. And so his delight is in all those who stick by the gospel, who are faithful to the gospel, who preach the gospel, who speak the gospel, who endure for the sake of the gospel. And to those faithful, he will gladly give life and glory and joy forevermore. Paul says to us, be strengthened by the grace that is in the Lord Jesus. Maybe this morning you're actually just intimidated and fearful uh, that the gospel needs to be put on display in your life. You stand by a preacher who is putting the gospel on display. Or perhaps we just feel weak because we know the failures in our past of trying to speak the gospel to our friends and our families. Paul says to us, be strengthened by Christ. Look up. See him reigning in heaven. He has all you could possibly need to support you through this day, this week. Look up to him. Look up to him and see that he waits at the heavenly door to welcome you home. He holds in his hands your crown. He holds in his hands your joy and your prize, which is, of course, his pleasure in you. But don't give up in the struggle. It is worth it. Let's pray. Our Father, you've given your gospel to the church. You've entrusted it uh, to faithful men throughout the ages. And I pray that we'd take up that call here at Christchurch, that we'd be a church that preaches the gospel faithfully, day in, day out. I pray that you'd help all of us not to be ashamed. And that when the struggle comes to our doorsteps, we'd lift our eyes to Christ and see that what he offers us in our suffering, in our trials, is worth every tear and every struggle. Pray, give us grace and strengthen us for this week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.